You're listening to episode 28, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Andre Snavely is passionate about reaching the lost with spirit-empowered training, resourcing, and equipping for Acts 1-8 Ministries. As an author, missionary, and theologian, Dr. Snavely and his wife, Darla, have been in ministry together for nearly 30 years, serving in pastoral ministry and as a professor of Bible theology and ministry at Central Bible College and Global University. They currently live in Brussels, Belgium, where Dr. Snavely serves as professor of theology at Continental Theological Seminary, and Darla serves with Breaking Chains, a ministry that helps women escape prostitution. His book, Life in the Spirit, explores what the church would look like if Christians saw their lives as totally dependent on the Spirit's presence to live as Jesus lived. If you read the title of this chapter, you should probably be asking, why shouldn't I follow Jesus' example? Jesus lived a perfect life without sin, and the Bible is full of statements calling us to be like Jesus. But there's a valuable distinction between trying to be like Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to make us like Jesus. And in this chapter, Andre explains the value of looking at the Spirit's work in bringing daily growth to our lives as something that can only be done by Him. In the end, your daily growth as you become more like Jesus isn't your responsibility. It's something only God can do, and He invites you to join Him in the process. What you just said uh, triggers my thinking about... um, Jesus being the example, okay? We hear that a lot, and we do know that he's the ideal, obviously. He's the, he's the God-man, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what Logos Christology has, I think, has benefited us the most in uh, making those very solid, fundamental Uh, answering those fundamental questions about the identity of Jesus Christ. But then you have another problem on top of that. Okay, so he's the God-man. He's the, is he really the example? Mm. Um, Actually, no. And here's why. He's not the example because... Saying, he, saying that he's the example implies something that Paul is adamantly against, and that is us trying to work out our holiness in our own strength. Hmm. So example connotes that here's a man that I'm going to follow. Here's a man that I'm supposed to live like him. Well, then, I mean, that's the whole issue that... Um, John Howard Yoder brought up in The Politics of Jesus, and why I, I began early on to see that, um, oh, he, you know, Yoder developed an incredible, um, you know, layout of who Jesus was and how he lived and all, but, but yet at the same time, he, his whole foundation is also based on Logos Christology. So you're still asked the question, in fact, I had to ask it even, it was even a tougher question at that point because I'm like, well, now I understand Jesus even better. <laughs> so <laughs> this makes my job even harder. Yeah. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Well, what's so powerful about spirit Christology, too, in this Trinitarian way is that 
it makes transformation something the Spirit does. Mm. Which is really what we're after in this case. Exactly. Not just trying to follow an example. That's what you mean by right. we're not following an example in that right. I just copy what he does right. and I'm good. Right, because no human can do that. Yeah. And so with spirit Christology, though, identifying Jesus also in this Trinitarian way as Father of the Son and the Spirit from the very moment that he's conceived in Mary's womb, the Spirit is the one who makes Jesus incarnate in the flesh. So, then you read Luke, and this is all from Luke, and uh, in the book uh, that I wrote my dissertation, um, then it really opens up a greater understanding of the significance that Luke's placed upon the Spirit other places throughout the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the Spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. Uh, he comes back to his hometown full of the Holy Spirit. He stands up in the synagogue, reads from Isaiah, and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He gets baptized before that um, uh, to, um, you know, the Spirit comes down upon him and the voice from heaven. And we know all that. Uh, but then later in, uh, I believe it's chapter 10, uh, which was a fascinating um, passage that I think I must have read a hundred times, but never really fully appreciated it like I do now. Jesus prays to the Father in the Spirit, hmm. and he thanks the Father that basically nobody knows or can understand who he is. And that it's only because of who the Father and the Son choose to reveal his identity to. But it's interesting that Luke says that he prays that prayer in the Spirit. So it seems like Jesus' entire identity, his ministry, his purpose, his plan, it's all Trinitarian. Mm -hmm. It's not simply Jesus uh, doing what he wanted to do. So apply that to our lives. Um, the Spirit makes other sons of God. We see that all the way through the book of Acts. And it's through the, the preaching of the gospel. It's through, it's through the narrative again. Uh, but the narrative always has uh, kind of, I would say, like a hinge in the middle. The hinge, one side of the hinge is the cross. The other side of the hinge is the resurrection. And it, it's really our faith has that hinge. Mm-hmm. And we see that really the way Yoder describes it is that, and really I, I, I think that seeing it in a spirit Christology even really enhances uh, Yoder's um, concept. Yoder said that Jesus did not simply go to the cross <clears throat> to provide atonement for the sins of humanity. <clears throat> Jesus died on the cross because he lived in obedience to the Father, and it got him killed. Hmm. Well, add the Spirit to that. Jesus lived in the Spirit in such a way, completely, his whole being was in the Spirit. He was able to do the work on the cross, and he was raised by the Father in the Spirit, 
And then, of course, that makes sense really of all of Paul's theology, Romans 6, 7, and 8, and all through there, of especially uh, Romans 8, where, um, you know, the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. He will also give life to your mortal body. So uh, this idea of cross and resurrection in the Spirit uh, allows us as Christians even to make sense out of Romans 6, where Paul says, uh, that's, th- that's our baptism. The Spirit basically puts us into the water. The Spirit kills the flesh, and through the Spirit's work, we are in Christ. Christ is in us. But to see my salvation, then, as a work of the Trinity, mm-hmm. it's not simply Christ alone. It's not just me and Jesus, but it's me obeying the Father as the Son of God in the Spirit, as Jesus did. Yeah. Even though that we're not born as incarnation of the Logos, um, the Spirit makes us sons of mm-hmm. God. And so I kind of grew up under, you know, under my dad's preaching, believing that, um, you know, Paul says, um, you know, it's, it's not of works, it's by, by grace are you saved through faith, not of your own works, lest anybody should boast. Yeah. You know, um, that even from a young boy, I believe that my salvation was a complete work of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, there's that age-old um, dichotomy, you know, whether it's the Spirit, whether it's me, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, basically, it's yes, it's the Spirit working in me to do the will of the Father. Yeah. And so I do the Spirit's bidding, mm-hmm. you know. One of my favorite points that you make throughout this is uh, on that is that you would never be able to arrive at that conclusion that Jesus is Lord of your own fleshly will and and, and thinking. That that, because you sort of have that revelation, that is the work of the Spirit revealing that to you in that moment. Yeah, and... Paul says it very yeah. <laughs> explicitly. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Yeah. No man can call Jesus accursed by the Spirit. Likewise, no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. So, um, and that, of course, un, you know, causes us to unpack a whole nother issue sure. of what it means to call Jesus Lord. Yeah. And which I don't think that uh, we today can really get at what it meant for the early Christians in the first three centuries, like you were talking about a while ago, before Christianity became um, basically a culture. First of all, it became um, acceptable, Mm -hmm. and then it became virtually mandatory for people to be uh, Christians in the West. And of course, that's a whole other issue that we can't get into here, but it is interesting to see how this uh, has developed over the last 50, 60 years, just when Western culture has begun to really push Christianity out, and Christians have had to really reassess their role in the world mm-hmm. and their relationship to the world and the relationship to the culture, relationship to national politics. I mean, this goes on and on. It yeah. has so many facets that, that's that's to me, it's the most vital and challenging and necessary thing that's going on in theology today because it has so many implications for how we live in the world. Well, for me, it all yeah. goes back to what you said a few minutes ago. Jesus 
was killed because he lived the life that he did mm-hmm. in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's so antithetical to the way that we want to naturally, out of our sinful natures, live our lives. We want to rule our own existences. We want to be in control of everything that we do and everything that happens to mm. us. And Jesus' entire life is about not that. And because that's so against sinful human nature, we killed him for it. Mm-hmm. And so as, as, the, as West starts to push Christianity away from us, we're starting to lose the luxury of being able to mm-hmm. not do that. Like, we, we don't have the luxury anymore of fitting in without feeling that tension between the way that the world lives mm-hmm. and the way that we live. Because when the world adopts Christianity as a norm, well, we have no reason to be afraid of, uh, they have no reason to be afraid of us because it's, it's normal to live kind of like the world does. I mean, they've, it, in my opinion, when the world adopts christianity kind of like america has when the when america adopts christianity as a as a normal thing it's not exactly a change of heart or a conversion of the individual people that make right. up america right it's it's a nominal adoption of the kind of the moral well it almost well, the Jude- yeah that's why they call it the judeo christian values yeah. it's because you can uh, hold on to those rules and laws and codes and not have a personal relationship with Jesus as right. your Lord. And it's yeah. not about that lordship. It's about no, it's just not. adopting the values. Right. It's not about giving up every bit of control, every bit of right to your own life, and submitting wholly to the will of the Father. Okay, so this reminds me of what Leo Sanchez says in his book, and I don't know if you talked about him. Uh, I listened to that podcast. It was great. Uh, but I don't remember him saying this. Uh, but... One thing he says in his uh, his, his earlier book, um, Jesus, uh, bearer or receiver, bearer, and giver of God's Spirit. That was his dissertation. He says that one thing that Logos Christology, the reason it was so popular and so dominant for so many centuries, is that because Logos Christology allows you to dodge the cross. Hmm. <laughs> that was the point yeah. I was going to make. Yeah. Like, it's actually a cool parallel that if the state, if you are a Christian because of the state's decree or because you live in a, quote, Christian nation, it's a natural parallel to say, oh, yeah, now I'm a Christian just mm-hmm. because of the ontological right. declaration of yeah. uh, of where I live, just like Jesus did. And so if, if Jesus was able to do and live the life he lived because he was just God, yes. nothing was a real challenge— that's pretty much how I live my life today as a citizen in a, quote, Christian nation. Yeah, and here's another component that allowed for that, is that Western philosophy uh, was very cerebral and intellectual, cognitive, all those aspects of the mind. And so down through the centuries then, um, especially since the Enlightenment, Christianity became a set of propositions. So then all you had to do was just say, I believe in your doctrines, and I'm good to go. Yeah. And so what got eclipsed was the spirits doing the work of transformation to, to begin with repentance. Mm-hmm. So that's why in recent years even, um, you know, there's been really a struggle, even in you know, here I am uh, speaking from a Pentecostal point of view. 
in Pentecostalism, I believe the early Pentecostals had very much of an anti-world, uh, otherworldly type of uh, spirituality and biblical theology. Somewhere along the way, about halfway, about 50, 60 years ago, uh, it began to be kind of become a split. Part of Pentecostalism in the West wanted to be very uptown, very uh, much back in power in the culture and the government, and and it became very what I just call evangelical, mm-hmm. just set of propositions, doctrines. Okay, if you believe this doctrine in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, good, you're you're a Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Well, then what happened was Pentecostalism really began to be less impactful, uh, maybe more uh, uptown, more suburban, more middle class even, maybe some higher class, but not like it was earlier of the very marginalized and, uh, you know, uh, minorities. But we see in the world today, and I think there's a reason for this, is that um, Pentecostalism is exploding all over the world in the South and in the non-West, and even in Europe, where I teach at Continental Theological Seminary in Brussels, we see uh, uh, cultures that have gone down this road that America is going down like two, three, four, five hundred years earlier than America has. But we see the effect here of secularism. Mm-hmm. And so my passion today is to try to distill this and write it in such a way that young people... Uh, can grab a hold of it, and especially I'm passionate about helping young ministers, uh, college students, you know, studying for the ministry, to take these principles and become much more challenged and excited about going out and starting churches, evangelism, living a life of discipleship, and and I think uh, that's my uh, passion, it's my motivation, and I see, really, when I'm teaching there in Brussels, Day by day, I see students uh, catching on to some of these things, and they say, wow, this is really helping me to make more sense out of everything, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what challenges me, you yeah. know, because I think it really works in a day-to-day lifestyle. If we really want to become more like Jesus, the truth is that we shouldn't simply try to imitate him. Following Christ's example may have its place, but without the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts and our minds so that living like Jesus is a lifestyle, we are simply following a new set of laws. Our goal as disciples isn't to copy what he did. Our goal is to do what he would do if he were in our situation. We want to become more like him in character, in attitude, and in response to those around us. This is what it means to live as a citizen in the kingdom of God, and this can only be done by the Holy Spirit's work in us. So today, I'd like you to read Matthew 5 and recognize just how impossible it is for you to measure up to this standard, and then spend some time in prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to do His work of transformation in your life. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. 
It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. You can find out more about Andre and Darla's missionary work by clicking the Facebook link in the show notes. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Andre unpacks the value of spirit Christology for transforming your marriage. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.